that you're like, kids, we're going to have this amazing lifestyle in this sunny land called Australia. And their first memory is getting like ripped away from their parents and thrown in another room and getting admonished because they had a banana. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 386. Thailand is not only home to the world's smallest mammal, the bumble bat, but it's also home to the world's largest living lizard, the world's longest and most venomous snake, the king cobra, and the world's largest fish. There's a lot of animal stuff going on in Thailand. You do not have to be the world's first digital nomad, like my guest today, Rob Palmer, to understand how important it is to travel light. Now, when Rob started this whole digital nomad thing, he certainly couldn't travel light. Computers were like the size of cars at that point. But nowadays, thankfully, through awesome new technology, we can travel light. I mean, sometimes you just need a laptop. Sometimes you don't even need a laptop. You might just need your phone. And when you're traveling light, the absolute best thing to do to force yourself to travel light is make sure that you're bringing just a carry-on backpack. That way you only pack what is absolutely necessary. So if you're looking for the best carry-on backpack out there, the one that I've taken all over the world with me as a digital nomad, check out tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. They've got a bunch of stuff over there. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off. Now, remember, the only way to get 10% off is by going to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. By going to that link, when you check out, you'll get a promo code put on directly onto your order that will get you 10% off anything that you order over there. So check it out, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop, and start traveling around the world in a way that makes sense. At this point in my life, and as someone who likes to travel, I realize how important it is to have less things, but have those things that I have be super high quality. So one of the issues I was running into as I started traveling more and more, though, was this idea of shoes. And even though I got pretty good at packing, shoes were always the thing that I thought, well, what am I going to do? I need a pair of athletic shoes. I need a pair of like nicer shoes. I don't want just sneakers. If I have to go out to a nice dinner or something like that, then I want a pair of sandals because I want my feet to be able to breathe, all that stuff. And so I got to this point where I was taking at least three pairs of shoes with me. And I thought, man, this is just going to be how it is until I found a brand new pair of travel shoes called Suaves, S-U-A-V-S dot com. Suaves, they have solved all my issues. At this point and on my last trip, I only brought one pair of shoes and that was my Suaves. They come in a bunch of different colors. They're unisex. Heather and I both love these shoes and they not only look amazing, they are probably the most comfortable shoe that I've ever worn. On top of that, Again, I only have to bring one pair of shoes when I am traveling. So they have solved my issue. If you want the best travel shoe out there, check it out, Suaves, S-U-A-V-S dot com. Don't forget, you can use the promo code EPOP, and that will get you 15% off your order. Hello, 
travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has gotten arrested for smuggling a single banana, who ran a campaign for Apple that was so successful that the lawyers had to shut it down, and who wrote quite possibly the world's first blog post and became the world's very first digital nomad, Rob Palmer from GoFreelance.com. Rob, thanks for joining me and a huge welcome. Hey, Travis, really great to be on the show. I've been looking forward to this and um, it's going to be great. Yeah, we have had at this point 300 or so guests come through our quote unquote doors of the show. I think this is the most jealous of an elevator pitch I've ever been because <laughs> with, when, when I first got an email and, and I started looking at your stuff, I thought if I could be the one to say I wrote the world's first blog post and became the world's first digital nomad, I mean, to me, that is like, that's, that's pretty unique. That's really cool, super succinct, and that's a title that you get to hold. So let's... Let's start by diving into that, and we'll work our way through your story and everything that's come about. But to be able to say that you wrote quite possibly the world's first blog post, I mean, how is that? How did that even come about? Yeah, okay. So that goes back to uh, the early 1990s when uh, I was living in the UK, and I was uh, a freelance copywriter at the time. I looked, worked with a lot of the uh, big corporates. Uh, a lot of the high-tech companies like uh, IBM, Microsoft, and Apple. And I also worked with a UK tele- telecoms company, which is uh, BT, which is like the U- UK equivalent of AT&T. So a huge, huge telecoms company. I did a lot of work with them. And one of the things I used to do is I worked on... I worked with their research laboratories, which are east of London. They have a huge research laboratory. It's like a university campus where they do some really cool research work. And I was producing a quarterly printed magazine, which was all about the kind of research projects they're working on. And the idea was to to engage other researchers and get them involved in their their projects. And then uh, one time I went up there in 1993, the summer of 93, and these guys were really excited. And these are kind of real boffin geeky guys it takes quite quite a lot to get them excited and it turns out that the technology behind the world wide web had just been made open source which meant everybody could promote it and these guys could see that this was going to be the thing which kicked off the, the use of the internet to the, the wider world. So they said, okay, well, let's let's take advantage of this and let's turn our printed publication into an online journal. So what today you would call a blog, but of course that, that phrase hadn't yet been invented. So we just called it an online journal. And so what we, we created what may well be the first blog or very close to it, which was extremely primitive because of course there was no content management system or anything like that. Everything had to be hand coded and each page had to be uploaded individually and required all these guys with PhDs just to make this basic website work. But, But we did it and we had a very simple kind of blog which talked about all the stuff these guys were doing uh, in their research laboratories. Yeah, and you you mentioned on your site, and people can go and read the whole story, but the idea that, that was it you went home, I think, and, and wrote something, or you wrote something from somewhere, and then they said, whoa, 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 we can see this, like they could actually see it on the web. Yeah, yeah, that was an amazing thing because before that, uh, nobody used the internet, and so this was quite an amazing thing. Was when we put up our first blog post or our first uh, article, and 
it took a, a little while to get the technology sorted out. And then I saw all of a sudden I got this phone call, very excited. Oh, we can see it. We can see it. It's working. And, and that was the start of a kind of a whole online revolution, I think. So you mentioned that these guys, these geeky guys, you know, not, you know, probably buttoned down, not super excitable, but they were excited about this. How did you feel about the internet at that point? Did you think it would become what it has become now, which is essentially, the, you know, what, what we could say, maybe one of the most essential things that this world has, has yeah. ever seen? Yeah, um, I didn't realize quite how big it was going to become, but I certainly realized it had potential. And I started thinking about, well, I, I could actually use this to promote my own business. This is a way of connecting with people that I couldn't could never connect with any other way. So from that, I, I learned how to set up my own website, which was extremely primitive initially, but it, it worked. I started picking up clients from places like Saudi Arabia, and that would, would never have happened without the internet. So as soon as that happened, I thought, this is it. I have to you know, get deeper into this and figure out how to, to leverage it and make it work. And has your domain been gofreelance.com for, for a while or have you been changed yet? Like, what did that maturation look like? Yeah, no, originally it was a different website just for my freelance services, and that, that's long gone. And it, the freelance site has been through a couple of domain name changes. It's, the Go Freelance has been around for maybe 10 years. But um, like all online marketers, I've had a whole bunch of different projects. So the, the internet's always so interesting that there's always a new shiny object, and you find yourself going off down a new path and chasing a new thing when you're probably better off sticking to one project and, and making that work. Of course. As well. You can. Of course, I was going to yeah. say, if it was the same domain, man, what type of domain authority would that be, right? Talk about longevity. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good for your SEO there. Uh, 10 years, still a long time with it, with the domain name. What was it like then in those early days? So let's, we'll, we'll fast forward a bit because you said you were working at the companies and, and obviously you put out the blog post and all that, but you certain, you then realized, all right, I, I can take this power of the internet, this thing that some people are starting to use, but not many, and I can really leverage it for myself and for my own business and to have my own clients and, and all that kind of stuff. Walk us through that progression then, which led you to eventually then becoming the first digital nomad, someone who was now working from anywhere, which nowadays, right, Rob, is, I don't want to say commonplace, but at least most people understand the concept. Then, yeah. this is a whole new world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so really what happened was uh, towards in the late 90s, the earliest affiliate programs started appearing with the Amazon Associates and then some of the credit card companies and so on. So then I got involved in affiliate marketing and started creating affiliate sites and making some income that way. Uh, and then eventually I realized that, okay, you can make good money that way, but I can make even more if I have my own my uh, my own kind of business uh so i started a membership site and that became my first kind of full-time business and around about 1999 all of a sudden i didn't have to do freelance copywriting anymore i i was earning enough from my own online business to uh to live full-time so 
my, my family and I realized, okay, we can start doing a little bit of traveling. So we did our first trip actually from the UK to Ireland. We had uh, an old Volkswagen camper van. We piled the kids, uh, all very young and very young children. We piled them in the back of the camper van. We went off to Ireland and um, we had a great trip. It worked. But of course, in those days, there were uh, there was no Internet cafes, no co-working spaces. Uh, no, you couldn't buy a SIM card for your phone. So the only way I could get online, there's no Wi-Fi. So the only way I could get online was we drive into a, a town like Galway and I just we pull up to a farmhouse or a, a cottage and I go up and knock on the door and ask them if they had the Internet and which maybe half people did in those days and half didn't and if they did i'd offer them 10 irish pounds to use the internet for for an hour and do what i need to do on, on my website and some people would say yeah and they'd be really welcoming and like all my kids would pile into the house we'd all be having coffee and eating cakes and i'd do what i had to do and that kind of worked yeah that i'm thinking that so it's 1999 so i would have been in high school not, not to not to date you too much here but i was like using aol right was that was that a similar type thing that you were using in Ireland? Was it AOL or was it something completely different? Uh, yeah, well, AOL wasn't so, so big in the UK or, or Ireland. It was other things like CompuServe. Uh, but, but by the late 90s, uh, it kind of more up-to-date internet connections were happening, but it was still mostly uh, dial-up. So it was, it was slow dial-up and with the old modem connection, you get a wee, and those kind of slow connections but it was good enough yeah got the job done what was your membership site about because you started a membership site what was it that was bringing people through the doors for you yeah so that was actually uh, about freelancing because that was uh, something i knew a lot about i've been doing it for for 10 years or so myself so i started to site a site uh, membership program to help other people get started uh, as a freelancer and uh, that that took off and became my, my first full-time business or online full-time online business and so after you took this camper van trip around ireland you're like all right this worked but it was you know difficult and you had to figure out you know you had to go up to farmhouses and make sure you got the internet what was the thought coming back after that trip? Was there almost like, hey, there's no turning back now? This this worked. Like I validated this idea of being able to be a digital nomad, even though I were you using that? I doubt you were using that term for yourself at that point. No, that that term didn't exist. Um, so, but it certainly that trip was like opening. Pandora's box and you you can't put the lid back on we certainly we realized then that uh, we weren't confined to London anymore I'd been had to I've been living in London because all my copywriting clients were either in London or near nearby and you pretty much had to be based in London to do that kind of work and all of a sudden we had an option we could move out of the big city and go somewhere maybe where property was cheaper and out in the country where the kids can have a better life and we thought about moving somewhere maybe 40 50 miles away like Brighton on the coast and we ended up moving 10,000 miles and emigrated to Australia okay uh why like uh, I mean I've yeah. been to Australia <laughs> I love it I can understand why from a Brit's perspective uh maybe you moved to Australia but what was it for you uh, yeah, it was a similar kind of thing. We, we'd actually, in, I think it's 2000, year 2000, we went to um, on a vacation to Australia and the whole family loved it there. We had, we had a great time. And it's kind of, 
like Britain with sunshine. So right, if, right. if you're British, British, it's it's a very comfortable place to move to. It's not a big big culture shock, and uh, we just realised, okay, we can do this now. There's nothing stopping us. So let let's do it, uh, and we did, and haven't regretted it for days since. Have you then, after you moved to Australia, what did it look like for you being a digital nomad? Like you had made the move, and now you're home basing in Australia again. And that's one of the big, I think, misconceptions of the maybe the term digital nomad that gets thrown around is a lot of times people think nowadays you, you're just always traveling, right? If you're a digital nomad, it means you're hopping around, boom, boom, boom. But we know that that, that that's not necessarily the case. I like the term location independence because it means maybe I'm at my home base. Both of us are at our home bases now as we record this, right? But we can go where we want when we want. So is that kind of what your life fell into, the pattern that fell into in Australia? Well, you're absolutely right about that, that kind of thinking. That um, yeah, I talk to people and um, they ask me about how I do this kind of traveling and so on. And they say, well, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I, I want to quit my job, but I'm not sure if I want to be traveling all the time. And I say to them, well, you know, the traveling is not compulsory. You know, <laughs> you, no one's telling you you have to get on a plane every three weeks or anything. It, it's an option. If, if you just want to quit your job and work from home and you know, do this to be there to take do, take the kids to school and do all that kind of thing that's fine you can do that but if you do want to travel and see the world then you have the option available to you you have the location freedom plus you have the time freedom and if things go well you have the financial freedom and it, so that's three keys which mean you can create a life that suits you and that might be uh, at your own home most of the time, or you might be traveling most of the time, or something in between. You just work out what's right for you. Uh, so, yeah, so for us, we emigrated to Australia, and obviously our kids were in school at that time. So we, we couldn't travel all the time, um, but we uh, we did travel a lot when, during this, the the hot school holidays and whenever we could, we'd travel around the world. We'd go back to the UK, visit the family, and on the way, we'd stop off in Asia or in the US. And we were able, to, we just had the freedom to to use our free time as, as much as we could. As much time as we could take the kids out of school, we could travel and do different things. And at that point, what were you doing for work? Was it still the membership site and freelancing um, itself? Like, But obviously doing it all virtually, all online? Yeah, and I stopped freelancing back in about 2000. So occasionally I'll do some work for clients that I know well, but generally I'm not looking for freelance work. Uh, so it's been a kind of a mix of online projects. Uh, and what's happened now is my, my son has also become an online marketer and he is also a digital nomad. So we actually collaborate on some projects. We have some joint products on ClickBank, for example, and we get to travel together. We meet up in different parts of the world, like um, Last September, we met up in uh, Cancun, New Mexico, and went to ClickBank's uh, Platinum Summit there, which was an amazing event to go to. So we get to do these extraordinary things that we you wouldn't do if we had kind of conventional jobs and, and lifestyles. Yeah, what did your kids think of the lifestyle that you that you all had because you were providing it for them, right? And you were taking them when they when they were younger. Did they realize, I, I don't want to say how lucky because there's uh, people might take that the wrong way, but did they realize how different a lifestyle it was when they were young and all of a sudden mom and dad are taking them out of school and you're going flying here and flying there while maybe their pals, you know, their dad or mom had a job 
in Australia and they didn't get to travel as much. Was it was it something you think that they realized early on that this was unique and different? Yes, I think so. And like you say, it's not a question of being better or worse, but certainly different. And I think we all appreciated that uh, we we got a different perspective on the world. I think they say that travel broadens the mind, and that's absolutely true. You have a whole different perspective on life when you've traveled a lot and you've met people in different countries from different cultural backgrounds. And um, it does kind of broaden your thinking and giving you a wider, uh, perhaps more uh, optimistic entrepreneurial view of life and do you think that the kids then because uh, you mentioned your your son is now doing a similar thing he's doing everything online he's a digital nomad do you do you think that because you did it that was why he transitioned into that do you were or do you know hey i was pushing him towards this because i enjoyed this for myself and i knew he would like it or was it something he gravitated towards naturally uh, yeah, so in the case of uh, Ben, who's my oldest son, yeah, he's, I think, a kind of natural entrepreneur. So he was interested from his early teens. He was int interested in what uh, I was doing. He'd come to the office when I had one and um, he'd get involved. And he started his own, his first online project when he was 15 and made a little bit of money. And that kind of he got him the entrepreneurial bug and he's been doing it ever since. And um, I have three other three other children and they're all have uh, this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. So they're all either running their own business or they're doing something similar. They all get involved in this kind of world. How does that make you feel as, as a dad? Is it, is it a sense of pride to say like, Hey, you know, I did this back in the day when no one else was doing this. And now it's, it's almost like a reward for you get to watch for you to get to watch them do something that, that you consider, you know, and you go on your website and you'll say it's like you consider a, a gift almost that you've been able to do this and I do too. And now you get to watch them have that same gift. Yeah, well, I think we're incredibly fortunate to live in this day and age that um, we are the kind of the first generations to be able to do this. It was impossible uh, even back in the early 90s. You, you could not have done it. Uh, but now you can. And uh, we are very lucky to do that, and I certainly appreciate that. I mean, my my children are doing things on their own merit, of course, but obviously they are, they are influenced by the, their backgrounds and the way um, they grew up and the different kind of life they have. And I think it's influenced them in a positive way and make them believe they can do almost anything they want if they, they, that the world is their oyster if they go out and make it happen. Yeah, what are some of the things? Because I think it's easy for us to see what's easier nowadays as a digital nomad, right? Uh, just the big one being the fact that you can get internet anywhere. Like you could be sitting in a beach bungalow in Thailand and probably have the best Wi-Fi in the world, right? So that's, that's I think, an easy thing to see. All right, well, this is how it's easier as a digital nomad. What are some of the things that you might see as being harder now than it was when you started? Or, or maybe there isn't something. Uh, there's not a whole lot. I mean, obviously, online marketing in general, online business in general has become more competitive. There's a lot more people doing it than there were uh, 10 years ago or certainly 20 years ago. But there are also a lot more opportunities. So I think now is the best time ever to start any kind of online business and to try and 
build this digital nomad lifestyle. The opportunities now are amazing. And plus, the, the all the tools you can have to help you are better than anything that existed even 10 years ago, plus all the information and the training that you have to get you started. I mean, all you have to do now is go to YouTube. And if you want to start, let's say, and uh, become an Amazon seller, you just go to YouTube and do a search. And you've got a whole wealth of information to show you how to do it. And whereas 10 years ago, we, we were scrabbling around in the dark trying to figure out how to do these things. So there are pros and cons, but on the whole, I think it's much better today. It's, it's far more positive change than negative change. Yeah, one of the interesting things that I see is that even today, this is a small group of people doing it. You know, if you're in the world, it's kind of like anything. If you're in a certain world, you think, oh my gosh, everyone knows about this or everyone's doing it or has this jumped the shark? Is there a tipping point or is it too saturated? And then all you have to do is walk out your front door, right? And tell one mm -hmm. person you're a digital nomad and have them look at you funny. And then you're like, okay, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess this is still <laughs> a very small select group of people doing this. And, and I find it hard even now, 20 years after you started doing this, to kind of convince people that it's a viable thing, not that it's not a, hey, Trav's doing this, he's going off and traveling, but like eventually he's going to come back and, and get a real job, right, is what I think people thought in the beginning. It's like, oh, let him have his fun. So it's hard for me to convince people that it's viable even now. I, I mean, in the beginning when you started, it must have been almost impossible to A, explain what you were doing and then on the flip side, I guess, quote unquote, convince people that it was a thing that that was actually something that you could continue to do with sustainability. Yeah, it's it's always been a, a problem trying to explain to people what I do. Um, I've, I've a good problem to have, it, right? A good problem it, to have. It, we'll take that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, I realized the best thing to, to do is to say, well, I have a shop on the internet. And that kind of makes sense to people. They can kind of understand that. So it's obviously oversimplifying, but, but at least people can kind of make, make sense of that. Uh, but yeah, most people really have no idea that this is actually a viable career option. They think of it as being maybe a, like a weird hobby or something, but not as something that could be a way of, of paying the mortgage every month. But it obviously, it absolutely can. Yeah, what for you then was maybe the tipping point or, or the, the moment where you thought, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing? Because we talk about maybe outsiders thinking, oh, they're going to come back to regular life or they're doing this on a lark and then, and then it'll, you know, they'll have their fun. Was there a moment for you where you sat back and said like, okay, like this is what I do now. I, I am, I'm going to, you know, again, the term digital nomad didn't exist then, but I am working online and I have my own business online and I'm not really afraid that I'm going to have to go back to maybe what you were doing before living in London, freelancing for clients, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the, the day I made the decision, this is what I want to do was uh, probably around 1998 thereabouts uh, when we had the, the dot-com frenzy. So in the late nineties, we had this, dot-com frenzy which lasted for a couple of years and in 2000 it all crashed for a little while but um, in 1998 the affiliate programs were starting to pay out crazy amounts of money and so I remember that the first day when I, uh, I, I sent out 
a kind of a email broadcast one night and uh, kind of went to bed because of the the, the time difference. Uh, I didn't know what was going to happen in the U.S. until the next day. I woke up the next morning and I'd made two hundred dollars overnight, literally while I was sleeping. And I thought, yeah, okay, this works for me. <laughs> this is much better than having to, you know, spend all day copywriting and doing this kind of thing. If I can make money while I sleep, then I, I'm in. And um, I, I, from that, I just made a commitment to, to make it work. And uh, we did have that dot com crash in 2000, where everything kind of took a step back. But again, it just opened up new opportunities, and and even after that, it just got better and better. Yeah, walk us through some of the biggest obstacles that you faced in the last 20 years or so of of being a online entrepreneur, of being a digital nomad, and someone who's kind of pioneered that movement. We know that it's great, and that most days are way better than the days that we had in our previous life. But there's certainly times that you've had to face tough obstacles and things that have happened that that might have made you think, okay, wow, is this worth it? Uh, yeah, you do. You do get um, some problems. And one of the issues is that now we have a relatively small number of big high tech companies which control a lot of the. Um, the internet in a way. So you're talking about like, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and a few others. Uh, they control so much that you, you have to go through those co- companies. And sometimes, you know, you could be, maybe you're running Facebook ads and everything's going great. Then all of a sudden your account gets flagged uh, and your, your ad account is suspended when you don't know why. Uh, that can be really frustrating because then you, it's hard to work around those kind of things. Uh, so do you have to be prepared to, to deal with those things. If they do happen, you have to you stick to the rules and try to avoid those things coming coming up. But if they do occur, then you, you have to accept that that's part of doing business and you have to uh, try and work around it and get your account back or whatever you have to do. What would you have done differently looking back 20 years and saying, all right, I you know I, I, I now see what, what the internet has become. Um, and I, I see the power of it. Is there anything that you would have changed either in your own journey, uh, like missteps you made or, or just decisions that you decided not to do that in, now you see and then you're like, whoa, that, that, that actually took off in a way that maybe I didn't imagine? Uh, yeah, well, I know I would, if, if I could, I would definitely go back in time and I would have bought a whole load of Amazon stock when, when it was like nine, ten dollars Um, and now it's like, was it now $2,000 or something? Um, so yeah, if you could have any insight as to what was going to happen, um, uh, you could have bought into those companies when, when the stocks are really cheap. Uh, but in terms of internet marketing generally, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to know what, what you could have done. I mean, obviously, if you'd been able to predict exactly, you'd have known what business to get in at what time. But I think the most important thing is just getting in and doing something and find a, a business that works. So um, I, I did that and I worked out okay and had its ups and downs. Um, but I <laughs> um, survived those and I'm still still doing it. So it, it's worked out just fine for me. Yeah, how has a typical day changed for you then, I mean, obviously, I think one of the cool things about technology and one of the drawbacks is that stuff can happen much, much quicker. You're not going to someone's house in Galway, knocking on the door and uh, spending 10 minutes waiting for their internet to connect, right? Like pop open your laptop, boom, you can start doing stuff. On the flip side, 
there's a lot more expectations, right? Now, all of a sudden, if Rob isn't getting back to someone on something immediately, or if Travis isn't answering his phone immediately, you know, people get upset. So what has happened for you when it comes down to, and, and I use typical, definitely in air quotes here, because we all know that there is no real typical day. But what is what have you seen taking up less time, taking up more time? How has that shifted for you? Yeah, I saw the the biggest difference I see now is the, um, a, a kind of twenty four hour cycle that I'm working with people all over the world. So I might well get messages or even phone calls at three o'clock in the morning. So you have to figure out how you're going to handle that. Whether you have a VA working on a different t- uh, time zone doing a different shift to handle those things for you. Um, but yeah, that's one of the, the perhaps the the biggest things you have to figure out is you don't want to be available to everybody 24 hours a day or, or you end up not not sleeping and um, you never get a break so you do need to enforce uh, a division between work and your private life it's very easy to end up not finishing at 5 p.m you end up sitting on your computer and you're still there at 10 o'clock or midnight uh when really you you should be switching your computer off and and having a bit of a social life so you, you yeah you have to be self have some self-discipline both ways you have to be disciplined enough to get yourself to work first thing in the morning do what you have to do and you also have the, the opposite discipline to say okay i'm done for today it's 5 p.m whatever now i'm going to go out and meet my friends and do, do something social activity and uh, enjoy the place where I am. And especially if you're traveling as a digital nomad, uh, it's also easy to forget how fortunate you are to be in a certain place. Uh, after you've been there a little while, you take it for granted and you forget that maybe next month you move on just to somewhere else and you'll never come back to that location. And you might be looked back one day and think, oh, I wish I'd gone to that beach or I wish I'd gone to that night market or all these things. So you have to be conscious of making the most of the, the time wherever you are. Yeah, that's an interesting point and one that I think was probably one of my biggest, not probably, it was one of my biggest struggles when I first started out and honestly still seeps in. You know, I've gotten much better at it and and set boundaries, but this money versus lifestyle balance, because one of the great parts about being an entrepreneur is there is no real cap on how much you can make. That being said, there's also no cap on how much you can work. And so there come times you're chasing like, oh, if I just work X amount of more hours, I'm going to, you know, do this and it's going to make me this money. And all of a sudden, like you mentioned, you wake up and you're sitting there in Bali by the rice fields saying, I have barely even seen this because I've just been head down. So what strategies do you have? You, You touched on a few, but are there concrete things that you do that you say, hey, I'm not going to maybe it's work after 5 p.m. or I'm not going to take on a client that's on in X time zone because it's just not going to work for me. I'm not going to work weekends. Do you have kind of hard and fast rules that you say, I'm going to put this in place because if I don't, I'm actually not going to get to experience the lifestyle that I'm working so hard for? Yeah, certainly I have a, a kind of rule that I'll, as soon as I get a project to the stage where it's making a reasonable profit, I'll outsource as much as possible. It's very tempting to think, keep thinking, that, oh, oh, I'll save money by doing everything myself. But you have to think that you can hire a VA for maybe, what, say, $120 a week thereabouts, which is like $3 an hour. So if you're doing work that a VA could do, you're working for three bucks an hour. So, <laughs> you know, that's less than half the minimum wage 
in the US. So do you really want to do that? That's probably not, that's not a good use of your time. So as soon as a project is making a little bit of money, then you need to outsource as much of that as you can. And you have to learn to delegate. Definitely. Uh, that's a really important skill uh, because your, your business can't grow without it. If you're trying to hold on to control everything and micromanage everything, your business is never going to grow and you're just going to drive yourself great, crazy working 18 hours a day. Yeah. Give us an example of something that you've maybe held on to too long. And then when you finally delegated, you thought, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, why was I even bothering doing this? This has taken such a weight off my plate. Yeah, certainly. When we um, emigrated to Australia and um, I took on my first employee there and at first I was kind of giving him fairly simple jobs to do and uh, I was still managing the things that I consider to be important myself and then one day I gave him one of these kind of more important jobs to do and he actually came back with a, a better way to do it that was much better than the way I'd been doing it and he actually improved everything and I sort of realized okay it's stupid me trying to keep, keep hold this things to myself i don't know i'm not the expert on everything if you give other people a chance they will surprise you and um that was a, a kind of a turning point for me that i learned that yeah you should trust other people to to use their initiative and get things done sometimes it might make mistakes but on average you're going to come out ahead yeah what are some of the projects that you work on now because you mentioned you do stuff with with your son and then there's other projects work can you give an example of something that you're excited about now or something that you've been working on recently that has started to like bear some fruit? Yeah, well, so what's happened over the last year or so is I've been going to a lot of kind of digital nomad conferences and so on and talking to a lot of people there that very often they're, they're newbies who are kind of interested in the idea of, of having running an online business or being a digital nomad, but they don't know much about it. And so they, I talk to them about what I do in my lifestyle. And then a few people would ask me, so um, how can I do this? Do you do any kind of coaching? And I always said, no, no, I don't do anything like that. And then after about 10 or 12 people had asked me the same question finally the the penny dropped and actually maybe maybe there's obviously a, a demand for this maybe what i should be doing is is helping people to get started in their own journey and as a online entrepreneur so that's something i've been doing for the last um, year or so and i find it really rewarding to help people kind of quit their job and have the opportunity to live this kind of amazing lifestyle what have you seen be some of the I, I hesitate to use the word easier, but I guess uh, some of the more popular ways to for people to get started. So these people who say, yeah, Rob, I'm interested, but I've got this job and, you know, I I, I, I want to do the lifestyle, but I just I'm not the type that's going to quit my job right now and just move to Thailand and figure it out. Like I want to build some stability first. What have you kind of found yourself pushing them towards is there a certain niche that you think is better to get started in or is there a certain does that totally depend on the personality skill set etc okay that, that's a good question and yeah that's something that's evolved over the last year is uh, initially i was uh, saying to people oh, okay you could do something like uh, affiliate marketing and they would look at me blankly that no idea what affiliate market is something from outer space as far as they were concerned or i'd say maybe you could start a shopify store and something like that and the same thing they've no idea what that meant and eventually found if i said well you could you could sell things on amazon then uh, they would say ah oh, 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And again, that's something that people understand. They they get that Amazon is kind of like Walmart, but it's on the internet. And um, so I find that people are very comfortable with with the idea of selling on Amazon. Plus, on top of that, it is a fantastic opportunity. Jeff Bezos has done an amazing job growing Amazon. is growing at a tremendous rate, and there are huge opportunities to build a business as an Amazon seller. So, so now I have a, a group here in Bangkok. We have a group of um, Amazon sellers. We have meetups, and uh, I do some training, and we're getting some people started in that, and that's proving to be a really rewarding venture to, to run. Is there any worry that you're putting all your eggs in one basket and that ba- I mean obviously that basket is Amazon. I don't think there's a worry of Amazon folding, right? We know that this that uh, they have no, like penetrated the market <laughs> to a crazy degree and will continue to just keep overtaking our lives. But is there any worry you mentioned this kind of earlier with with Facebook ads and your account gets flagged and hey, you build this business around Amazon that you're building a business around a third party and at any point they could say Hey, you did something we we don't like, or they just be like, "Hey, you're you're off." Is does that does that worry you, or 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 worry the students or people that come through? You have to be aware of it, but I would say if you follow the rules, then the chances of you getting your account suspended are extremely small. Once in a while, it it can happen that somebody gets suspended unfairly, but there are ways to get your account back. But generally speaking, that's a a very tiny minority. For most people, if you follow Amazon's rules, you're going to be just fine. But um, what I recommend to people people is they start off on Amazon, and uh, you can go an awful long way just on Amazon, but eventually you might then want to start if you taking your brand somewhere else and uh, selling on other, other platforms as well. But you you can build a fantastic business on Amazon. You could, and maybe you could sell it after three to five years and cash in, and then you have an opportunity to start something else. But right now, I think the, the pros outweigh the disadvantages like a 100 to 1. Do you have a lot of people doing Amazon FBA, or do you have a lot of people white-labeling stuff and if you guys are listening, you don't really know what that is. Are, are people selling other people's products or are they creating their own product and, and putting their own brand around it? Yeah, so it's definitely creating your own private label product. So it's definitely the way to go right now. Uh, so the other way to do it, which is a retail arbitrage where you you could you could maybe just go to Walmart and or Costco and buy stuff at a discount and then resell it on Amazon. That kind of works, but you've got no protection. You're in a, you're, it's a race to the bottom. You're competing with everybody else on the same products. Whereas if you create your own private label products, you have an opportunity to, to build your own brand. You've got your own u- unique products, uh, which you can maybe sell at a premium price if you get the, the, the right product for the right market. And it's something you can grow into a multi-million dollar business. Yeah, can you give us an example of some of the successes that you've seen with like what type of products? I think people think very limited scope, and I know I did when I first started hearing about this. I'm like, oh, products on Amazon. You think just, you know, I guess typical consumer goods. And then I I met a guy who's like, oh, I'm making massage balls. And I'm like, what are those? And it was just like, it's like field hockey balls with his branding that are being used by masseuses. And I'm thinking, there are a million and one products out there that I would never even imagine because they're not in my day-to-day life. So what are some of the unique kind of fun, funky products that you've seen people do and, and market? 
Yeah, well, they're all, all kinds of crazy things. And the numbers on Amazon are insane. I mean, just in Amazon US alone, Amazon.com, there are over 600 million different products. Uh, I mean, I would never have thought that there were that many products that you could sell. Um, but there are all kinds of things like like very weird things like um, uh, artificial snow for Christmas or artificial um, cobwebs for Halloween weird things like that you, that you would never think could be something that you could sell and people have full-time businesses selling that kind of thing or um, knife magnets all kinds of weird strange products so and there is there are endless opportunities to find these little niche products and build a whole business around them so you then are based now in bangkok do you have plans on on changing up your location how often do you change or is Bangkok at this point home to you? Is it going to be your home base for the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's home base, and I like to I travel a lot, but it's good. It is good to have somewhere that I can call home, um, right, and come back to. So I keep my my apartment here, and it's it's great because. Um, it's very economical considering Bangkok is a major capital city. Living here is very cheap compared to say New York or London or Sydney. So um, I keep my apartment here wherever I go, but then I'll go off on the travels for uh, maybe a month, two months, maybe longer. And um, that that's great. You get to see different parts of the world. But after a little while, I'm thinking, oh, it's time to go back to, to Thailand now. <laughs> and uh, so I'm always happy to come back here. It, it feels like a, a comfortable pair of slippers when I come back to Thailand. Yeah. What are some of your favorite places? Let, let's start with, I, I want to talk about some of your favorite places you visited, but let's be even before that, like some of your favorite places that you've seen, like through the lens of being a digital nomad, not, not just for travel's sake, but hey, this is a cool place that you know, someone could bunk down for a couple months has a pretty vibrant, you know, digital nomad scene. What are some of those that you've enjoyed? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, Thailand is very much the home of the digital nomad, and it's a, a great community here, especially in Chiang Mai. It's a fantastic place to be located. Uh, a really good community and lots of events going on there. Uh, but also, all over Southeast Asia, there are smaller digital nomad communities. So, as you get around, you can you can go to somewhere and you've got like instant friends. You go to an event and you have, um, you can make friends and, and get involved in the community right away. So, uh, there are also a lot of good places in like Eastern Europe. Uh, I had a, I spent some time in Hungary last year and there are great places in places like, um, Czech Republic and, um, Ukraine, all kinds of interesting places you can go. So really nowadays it, it's, it's all over the world. There's, there's no limit. But, um, yeah, some places are more of travel hotspots, like, obviously like Peru and places like that. But uh, there's, there's no restriction on what you can do. It's whatever suits your, your lifestyle and what you find interesting. Yeah, and I think at this point, some of those places you mentioned, I mean, we talk about Southeast Asia and, and Eastern Europe. You know, the, it doesn't always have to be cheap, but the cheaper places will naturally attract people who can work from anywhere because a either they're just starting out and they're saying all right well if i if i'm going to start out and i can live for $1000 a month in bangkok and and live really great i can't do anything in new york for $1000 a month you know um that's going to attract people but i think it is also the reason that a lot of people say 
hey, if I can be anywhere, why am I, quote unquote, wasting my money being maybe in a Western country or at least home basing in a Western country when it is so much more affordable? And, you know, I try to tell my friends, family, anyone that'll listen how cheap it can be in Thailand. And they, I think they think I'm being hyperbolic and I just say, no. You could go get a meal for a dollar. You can rent an apartment for $300, $400, you know, a nice apartment, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's it has opened up the world for a lot of people who want to have these experiences. What then are some of your favorite places that you've gone to just for travel sakes? You're saying, hey, I don't care if the internet's good. I don't care if there's a vibrant digital nomad scene. Like These are just epic places that I've visited around the world that are right at the top of my list. Yeah, so I think uh, Eastern Europe is interesting right now because that's really kind of opening up uh, a lot of change going on there. So places like uh, Croatia, really interesting to visit and have it's beautiful long, um, lots of beautiful towns and places to go. Um, South America is really interesting, uh, but I still love to go back to, I go back to the UK and I go back to Australia um, and visit places along along the way. Uh, There's still a lot of places in Southeast Asia I haven't been to yet, so I'm just enjoying getting around to, to see as many of these places as possible before they change too much, especially here in Asia. Everything's changing at an absolutely frantic pace. So um, I want to see a bit of the old world before everything changes into the, the new world. What are some of the old world Asia places that you've seen that, that did give you that feeling? Yeah, places like um, Nepal and Bhutan, you can, they still have some of that uh, traditional culture you can still feel you can be up in the mountains and you still feel you're kind of back in the 19th century but uh, all of that is is gradually disappearing wherever you go now everyone's on this on the smartphone and uh, they're on Facebook and YouTube and everything else so that I'll say that's having an impact but uh, it all, does also make it easier to get around as well that, that you can get around speaking English almost anywhere and you have Google Maps and everything else to help you wherever you go and that makes all those kind of things make traveling so much easier. Yeah, I remember going to Myanmar and a lot of people said to me, all right, this is like going to Thailand 20 years ago. So in my head, same thing, like romantic notion that you had like, oh, I love Thailand, but it'd be cool to see it before everyone got there, right? You know, and um, yeah, yeah. went to Myanmar and was like, whoa, okay. And I had a bit of culture shock because everything <laughs> was so much more difficult than Thailand. In, yeah, in the yeah. end, it was good. But the first couple of days, I was sitting there thinking, I'm going to just get back on a plane to Thailand. Like, you know how easy it is yeah, in yeah. Thailand? What am I doing in Myanmar? Um, so it is that a little bit of a double-edged sword. You know, we want... We want everything to be like it was, right? And 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 have this romantic notion. And then you get there and you think, oh, okay, yeah, this is this doesn't have the infrastructure that some of the neighboring countries have. Yeah, I certainly find that in yeah, Myanmar to, to some extent, but also Laos as well is perhaps even further behind the curve. And if you get out in the country there, get out beyond Vientiane and get out into the countryside, then you really do feel like you're still in the 19th century and <laughs> makes you realize that actually progress is a good thing. And you don't really want to be stuck in the 19th century where things weren't so great in those days. Right, right. Yeah. In your head, you want to be. And then in reality, you're like, Okay, give me a few days of this yeah. and, 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 and let me move on. 
What, yeah, yeah. What are some of the ways that you are able to save money while traveling? Like what for you? And, and I guess if you if you wouldn't mind putting some sort of number on, like what type of traveler are you now? Are you do you consider yourself a budget traveler? Do you consider yourself mid range? Where do you fall? And what are some of the things that you save money on so that maybe you can spend on on something else? Like what are your priorities when you're traveling? Uh, yeah, I'm still pretty much a, a budget traveler in terms of flights. Um, I, <laughs> I was looking for a good deal on flights. Uh, I, I don't see the benefit in paying thousands of dollars for business class just to get a slightly wider seat. And I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm I'm happy to fly coach. Uh, but one of the advantages of being a digital nomad uh, or having an online business is it's quite likely that you're spending money on, let's say, Facebook ads or Google ads or other costs. And if your business grows, you could be spending a lot of money on that kind of advertising. And if you have a travel rewards credit card, you can get all those points um, uh, as you can you pile up. A, a lot of travel rewards points and so you can fly for free so that, that makes a big difference you can uh, knock out most of your travel expenses just by using your reward points yeah for sure one of the huge things I, th- I think that to me was the was the thing that opened up my eyes to being able to travel around the world even before I knew about location independence and being a digital nomad when we were living in Japan, I started finding out about travel rewards points and thinking, no way, this is a scam. This is too good to be true. And then did a bit of research and figured out. And and that's what started our, our site and our podcast way back then was, hey, wait a second. This isn't too good to be true. You, you have to be smart about it. But if you are, all of a sudden, here I am flying back and forth to the US for $50 from Japan. And I'm like, that worked. You know, I took that first flight and was like, Someone sitting next to me probably just paid $1,500 for this flight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and as you probably know, there are some uh, credit cards who actually um, they encourage people who have online spending, um, who are spending money on Facebook ads or Google ads, and they give you uh, like 3, 3x your points just because it's uh, that kind of online spending. So they actually w- want you to, to, to use that to advantage and. Uh, Chase, I know, has a card like that. So, yeah, you definitely have options. Yeah, for sure. What have you seen then? Because you've been traveling a lot and you've gone a lot of places as a digital nomad and, and just as a straight traveler. What has been one of your biggest travel mishaps? Yeah, okay. Well, I guess the the biggest mishap was the one you mentioned uh, earlier when we actually emigrated to Australia. Our the first our first day when we landed in Australia, the first day of our great new adventure in this what new country, uh we got arrested for smuggling a banana into the country, <laughs> uh which was not the kind of a start you really want for for your new life. So, uh, yeah, and- explain <laughs> explain this. All right. So so you so you're like we're going to move 50 miles away. No, we're moving whatever it was, 10,000 miles away to Australia. What, you just had a banana in your backpack and all of a sudden they thought you were some sort of, you know, mastermind or something going on here? Yeah, well, what it is, Australia's really strict on what you can bring into the country in a way of things like foodstuffs because they have uh, a very fragile environment. Um, so they have to be really careful about bugs and things being brought into the country. Uh, so you're supposed to put any foodstuff you're supposed to dump in a bin on the way th- through customs. But uh, we didn't. We thought we'd done that, but we didn't realize that my 
daughter, who was uh, three or six years old at the time, she had stuffed a banana in right down the bottom of her backpack where we didn't see it. Uh, we went through customs. It came up on the scanner, and a guy pulled us to one side. And we realized later, I think this guy had just been promoted. So he was kind of taking his job a bit too seriously. And um, he found this banana and took us off into a separate room. And the children were taken away by a, a lady customs officer into a separate room and they were all crying because they didn't know what was going on and this guy was telling us this was a really serious offense uh, um, uh, we were quite worried about how this was going to turn out but then i think eventually i said hey mate you've, you've gone a little bit over the top here and eventually he came back and said okay you're, you're free to go and and that, <laughs> that was the end of that but it, it wasn't the best start to our new life but after that everything was great <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? You're like, kids, we're going to have this amazing lifestyle in this sunny land called Australia. And their first memory is getting like taken, ripped away from their parents and thrown in another yeah. room and getting admonished because they had a banana. Um, yeah. I'm, su I'm surprised <laughs> that they weren't like, yo, let's get back on the plane right now and get out of here. Um, yeah, yeah. But I guess they're young enough not to have too much say, right, over you. What um what do you have coming up in the pipeline then, both both personally and professionally? Like, what are you looking at as possibly other opportunities for for moving forward as a digital nomad? And is there any travel that you have that you're pretty excited about? Places, new places that you might be exploring. So on on the business side, I'm really excited about uh, getting this um, Amazon seller training program up up and running. That that's really getting a little bit, bit of momentum now and um, I really enjoy working on that so I th see that growing quite a lot over the next year or so. In terms of travel, uh, next trip is actually going to be back to Australia because my, my son's getting married this year so it's going to be a great chance to meet up with uh, relatives I haven't seen for a long time. We'll all be together in, in one place and for the first time for a long time my four children are all going to be in Australia at the same time at plus me so that'll be fantastic. We can all meet up and I'm hoping to stop at New Zealand on the way there and probably Bali on the way back. So that'll be a big trip. And um, next year, I'm planning on spending more time in China to help people with sourcing products in China. So I want to spend some time in uh, Shanghai. Uh, I've done trips to uh, Guangzhou and Shenzhen pre previously. So this time I want to go to Shanghai and Ningbo and do some sourcing there. So there's, there's lots of things to do. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting involved. Uh, end of this month i'm going to cambodia to see and reap to see the the temples in angkor wat so there's lots of places to go and lots of things to, to see and it's just uh, a question of finding enough time to do it all that's right mixing fun and business and travel and all melding it together that is what the digital nomad slash location independent life is all about and rob i want to say thank you so much for joining me today and also for pioneering this way of life that, you know, this, this idea that, Hey, there's a thing called the internet. We can use this to, to leverage for, for our abilities to be able to see the world in a different way and not just as someone who's a vacationer going away for a week or two, but living within a culture or spending more time in a culture and, and home basing different places that, that then open up a world of opportunities for you. So thank you so much for pioneering this way of life that myself and, now tons of others uh even though it's not everyone right in the world like we think but still a decent <laughs> amount of yet. people right not yet have been able to piggyback on it and kind of grab by the horn so remind people one more time how can they find out about what, everything you're doing how can they follow you and how can they get a hold of you 
Yeah, sure. So the the best way to get in touch with me, just go to gofreelance.com and find the contact form there and uh, shoot me a, a message and I'm happy to, to help anybody out and answer any questions. And just finally to say, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon says this is still day one of the Internet. We're just getting started. Um, so I think the Internet now, the Internet online industry is where the auto industry was 100 years ago when they were at the Model T Ford stage. That's where we are with the Internet. We think we've come a long way, but really we haven't even started yet. The, the, everything is in the future. So it's going to be really exciting and, and I want to, to be doing this for the next 30 years because I want to see how it all turns out and be involved in everything. So I would recommend everybody to at least dip a toe in the water and give it a go because it can really change your life. Yeah, it is crazy that you put it that way and to think of it that way, that we are at a Model T level. I mean, I remember I just went to a museum the other day and saw that, you know, the Model T, it's like, this thing people are driving around yeah. in this thing right and yeah uh, yeah that is that is fascinating to think that we're we're fascinating a bit scary because we don't know what we don't know right but no, that no. that this is really just the beginning and and it's cool to me and like i said at the top of the show one of the most amazing things and and thing i'm jealous of you is like you were there at the very beginning like right at kind of um you know the the start so thank you so much and um, it's, it'll be exciting to see where it goes. I know that on your site, one thing I wanted to mention, you said you wanted to be, or wanted to be one of the first three generation or third generation digital nomad families. So I guess you're, you said your son's getting married. You're, people are working towards that, right? Well, we're getting there bit by bit. Yeah, we got a few more years to go yet, but hopefully we'll get there one day. Awesome. Well, guys, we will link everything that Rob mentioned up in the show notes. You can get those extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. So, of course, anything that we mentioned there, you can, do, we, you can find that. Also, you can hit Rob up, uh, take him up on his offer to send him a message. This is a wealth of knowledge, right? 20 years of uh, digital nomading knowledge at your fingertips here with Rob. So, Rob, I just want to say thanks again for taking the time to, to come on and chat with us. All right. Thanks, Travis. I really enjoyed it. And um, thanks for inviting me on, to be on the show. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.